Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And I'm joined, as always, by Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison for another busy show. Obviously, we'll be looking ahead to this week's fourth Ashes test and we'll discuss whether it should even go ahead. Also, uh, a bunch of retirements this week. Uh, we'll discuss Quinton de Kock's decision to quit Test cricket and Ross Taylor bidding farewell to all international cricket. And we'll debate whether Stuart Broad and Joss Butler might consider doing the same in the coming weeks. So, as always, plenty to talk about over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. COVID chaos, a shambles, as David Milan said, when uh, England's net bowlers uh, were asked to leave the facility with a couple of them testing positive. Chris Silverwood, we know, is positive. Adam Holyoke is a close contact. He can't join the coaching staff. Travis Head has tested positive. Glenn McGrath can't be at uh, the, the, the pink test match, uh, the SCG, which is so close to his heart. They're all going down with it. And yet somehow the Ashes bandwagon is rumbling on. Should it be, Harmy? What's that ABBA song? Money, money, money. <laughs> <Is it ABBA? laughs> oh, my God. I- I can't believe it's carrying on. I feel for the player. I felt I've, I've said this many times. I feel for the players who are getting laughed at and ridiculed because of some of the performance that they've had. But you can uh, you can say this has been the worst Ashes tour in, in a long time in history, possibly. But the whole thing has been an absolute shambles. From the very very start, it was a shambles. Half the team were in World T Twenty. Half the team were in isolation. And then they got out of isolation, they stuck it down the rain for a fortnight in Brisbane. They go in underprepared. Players who haven't played a, a competitive match for, well, in Ben Stokes' case, six months. And then COVID hits. And everything that the players had apprehension of the tour going ahead from the very, very start. And you can think, and we can only speculate because the big name that was mentioned was Joss, Joss Butler. 
that's now coming home to roost. And if I had my family there, I'm not sure I'd still be there. I think I'd have gone. I'd, I wouldn't have gone to Sydney. I wouldn't have took my family anywhere near Sydney. No way in the world. I'd have been in Melbourne and thinking, right, the quickest way out back to Ashton would be Melbourne, Singapore, Singapore, Newcastle, bang, off you go. There's One, there's no point now. No point now. Straight up. Just shake hands. Say, thanks for coming. Yeah, it's been a shambles. We've lost. We're going home. Get ready for the West Indies. But where these guys' heads must be. You know, when anybody's sitting, if anybody's listening to this, anybody wants to know what it's like to be a professional sportsman on times like this, it's it's impossible to put into words. The 3-0 down, they've been humiliated in 11 days. They're now in a bubble because of COVID hitting. These are not prisoners. They're not animals, like I said, like, like six, 12 months ago when they were playing behind closed doors. They're human beings and the human element of this in the mind must be horrific, absolutely horrific. And think about that next time. And I, I'm the same. I've got to think about every time I open my mouth and criticise what's happening on some of this performance because I don't know and understand what's going on at, there at the minute because I haven't played in COVID world. I haven't lived in bubble world. And I think that is something I don't think anybody can get their head around. Yeah, um, bubble life contributes to performance. There's no question about that. But you said, uh, what's the point? This is what Joe Root said about the point of staying. It's an opportunity for us as a group to come tight together, to work together, be good human beings, help each other, prepare as well as we possibly can do, and almost stand up in a bit of adversity and then use that in a positive way when we get out there on the field. So obviously we're all feeling for, for those guys sat in isolation, desperately wanting to help us turn things around and put in better performances. And we've got a, an opportunity in these two games to do just that. You know, whether it's the same voices or different voices, it doesn't really matter. We've got to put out performances in the middle and we've got to make sure that we stand up and, uh, and show that we're a better team, which I know we are, than, than what we've produced so far on this tour. And see that as an opportunity. Don't see that as you know, a heavy burden. See that as a real chance to go out there, make some big test runs as individuals, as batters, go and win a game with ball in hand and walk away from this trip with, with something. That was Joe Root. Um... Absolutely delighted to say, as promised, that we're joined live by uh, David Lloyd now. Bumble, the first thing that I want to ask you, um, and I know it's difficult following events um, and being up to date with them, but given everything that's happening in Sydney um, with uh, with commentators and players and coaches and uh, all going down with, with COVID, I mean, there, there is a there has been a, a, a mounting sense of doom and gloom you know, as the days go on, there's more and more bad news um, with Glenn McGrath unable to be at the uh, the pink test match at the SCG. England down to uh, a coach and a half. Do you think that the, the Ashes should, should should be carrying on? Do you think this test match should, should be taking place? Or do you think that common sense should have prevailed and uh, they should have called it off and given Australia the Ashes for 3-0? Well, they're going to win 5-0. I think it's as simple as that. And... You know, the show goes on. They've got this far and it's how, it's what it is. It's what we're going to have to live with. And I think that if we give in and say, well, at every opportunity we will cancel or we will postpone, I think we've just got to carry on. It's difficult. I, I find it so difficult for the players, primarily for the players and for the welfare of the players. I think that's really important. And sometimes it gets sidelined the welfare of everybody concerned. It is not easy. It's a very difficult situation that we're all living in. 
but from an England perspective on playing cricket, they're miles behind Australia, as we've seen. How they can put it back together, sometimes you're better in adversity, aren't you? The 3-0 down, sometimes you're better when you've really got to roll your sleeves up, puff your chest out and say, right, everything's against us, let's go. Putting your coach's hat on, Bumble, how can you do that with players who are in the, the modern world? I, uh, I mean, because what, what I mean, I was like, I was trying to think about, yeah, we well, Freddie's trip and we lost 5-0. But the COVID world we live in now, it is so hard in them bubbles, in that life, what the, what the players are going through. From a coach's point of view, how can you how can you make everything go forward, be positive when you're probably sick of the sound of your own voice mm-hmm. and try and make sure a player can get to Sydney, puff his chest out and make him believe in himself. I talked about Michael Vaughan being a great sort of bluffer and being able to talk to his players and make his players believe in things that weren't actually happening, but he knew what mess- buttons to press. How do you do that from a coaching point of view when things aren't going so well? Well, it's 24-7 for a start and you've got to be so caring. And it's not just one person that you're looking after. You're probably looking after with the coaching staff upwards of 25 people. So 24-7, you've got to stimulate yourself for a start and then try to get into your players and instill into your players that they're there because they're the best that we've got. Now, you've got to put that in different compartment because they're getting absolutely hammered. Why are they getting hammered? Because they're clearly not good enough. It's as simple as that. But then I like that word that you used with Michael Vaughan, that you've got to bluff a bit and you've really got to have an honesty about you, but a bluff that you can get them into the best possible frame that they can play the game. But I I will always come back in this situation and you've been there, Steve, you've got the T-shirt. The welfare of the people is so important. Sport, for me, takes a second place because you've got to look after people because there will be casualties with mental health and the way that people are, particularly if they're not doing well personally. When, I, when you, you go on, something to go on to, to that, there's a lot of criticism being of Joe and the selection panel and who's picking the team and who's doing that. But for this test match, you're going into a game when you're 3-0 down do you have that in your mind when you're selecting the side uh, he's he's technically better than him but but I think mentally he's in a better place to go in front of 50,000 at Sydney and try and perform for me for five days because the selection hasn't been great but that that for me is the key now going forward how do you put yourself in that position as a captain coach trying to select 11 players out of 17 who are clearly mentally just obliterated at the minute Well, there's a collective that you've got to think about, and that collective is the team. You've got to get the team prepared, ready to play that game, and then it's handed over to the captain. So he's got a massive role. And I feel for Joe Root because he's carrying the batting for a start and there'll be mounting criticism and there will be casualties. There's no doubt about that at the end of this. There will probably be a review. There will be casualties. I doubt whether it'll be the coach, but... The coaching staff will be anxious. All the coaching staff will be anxious. So you've got to try to get that collective together. Now, you're working at the minute for a lad, Darren Goff, who who I've got close contact with, real close contact with. And if the chips were down, talk about puff your chest out. He'd be right in there. We might not be as good. They might be better, but we're going to give them a hell of a go. 
Now, I think that's what I talk about with a collective, because when you go to Australia, as we all know, Neil will go as a commentator, you go there as a player. You're not playing 11, you're playing the bloke in the restaurant, you're playing the bloke in the pub, you're playing the bloke at the airport. And so your collective has got to be so tight, unbelievably tight, that you say, OK, we're going to take you all on. Well, I'm interested uh, what you said about there will be casualties. Um, Joe Root scored 1,700 runs. Um, you know, it's a record-breaking year. So, obviously, the captaincy is not affecting his form. It was interesting to hear Ben Stokes say that he wasn't interested and to, to completely back Joe. He seems to have the backing of his players, although Nasser said the other, Nasser Hussain said the other day that that, that was completely irrelevant. Do, do, you, do you see Joe Root as potentially being a casualty or, in fact, voluntarily giving it away? And do you really see Chris Silverwood keep, keeping his position? I see the captain as being safe as long as he wants to carry on. At times, he looks spent. He looks absolutely shattered uh, with what the job entails. And it's no fun when you're getting hammered. If he wants to carry on and he's got the appetite to carry on, I don't think there's a problem there because people will understand that we're not producing test match cricketers. We'll come on to county cricket, I'm sure, in a minute. But when I say there'll be casualties, I've been there that the coaching staff will come under scrutiny. Now, should they come under scrutiny, it is a different kettle of fish because the county cricket structure that we've got is clearly not producing test match cricketers. And the one reason a spot like that is technique of the batsman. I think the bowlers have been heroic, absolutely heroic. But the batsmen just watch individual batsmen technically. They're miles away. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think in the new modern-day world of 2020, in with 100 or whatever, it's the bowlers are changing because they're having to adapt. And the batsmen, are, I think the batsmen are getting lazier because there's no foot movement, no mm-hmm. no nothing that goes with it. But the, to the point of county cricket, is it simple? Well, we play play six Red Bull games, seven Red Bull games in June and July, and problem solved? Or is it more deeper root than, than that, that we that we probably play too much? We probably don't value our wicket as much because, well, I don't mind. I'm getting on a bus. I'll go and I'll, I'm playing tomorrow. Is that the issue? Do we need to do we need to address not just when we play the game, but actually how we play the game? Yeah, I, I agree with that. That you've got to play uh, county cricket in prime time, summer time, and um, forget all this. Shove it at the beginning of the season. Shove it at the end of the season. Now, the one word that you need through all this is quality. And what we tend to go in county cricket, domestically, in all forms, in every form that we've got, we're always looking at quantity. Now, forget that. Look at the quality. Look at New Zealand, the best team in the world because they've beaten India in the final. They play 10 matches maximum. And at the minute, they're lobbying to play eight matches. That's all. To prepare your players, I'm coming back at it from a coach's prospect, Again, if you're a coach and you've got to prepare players, you need time. You need time to prepare. You need time to rest. You need time to practice. And then you perform. It's a cycle all the way around. We're football fans. You and I are football fans. And a top manager will leave a guy out for no reason except that he needs a rest. Mm. Now, our lads in county cricket, we know, man who knows, you know, they're absolutely shattered. 
They're shattered. They're running on empty. And you want fast bowlers to run in and bowl fast. And you want pitches to be able to express that pace bowling. If the pitches have got pace, they're helping the spinner. If they've got pace, the batsman can play the shots. You're getting a great game of cricket. So the other thing that I'd add to that, Steve, is that the pitches have got to be pristine, absolutely top-notch cricket pitches that have got pace and even bounce, which brings fast bowlers in, spin bowlers in, and the batters can play the shots. Bumble, everything that uh, Michael Atherton has written that I can remember that has surprised me has been because I, I'm too stupid to work it out for myself and I've learned something. I was surprised to see one of his, he writes a brilliant article in the Times about um, the way forward for English cricket with some suggestions and he didn't have an answer to everything. But I was surprised that he was suggesting in order to create intensity, games like a North versus South or the best against the rest. And I know that these games have existed um, through the decades and, you know, the first of them go back um, just after the First World War. Can you create artificially create that intensity, you know, just picking the best 24 players and, and saying, right, off you go, lads, uh, have a go at each other? Or do you have to rely on something more natural and organic like the best six counties or the best eight counties? Well, there's something to be said for the, the best counties, but I'm, I like county cricket. It gave me a wonderful living. And so I like the idea of 18 counties. Now, the interesting point there, Neil, is that I've actually played in test trials, a number of test trials. I can tell you, having played in these, there is no intensity in it whatsoever. None whatsoever. It, it's like a, what I would call a middle practice. You're out there, you're doing your best, you're trying to get in the team. But am I going to get in instead of Jeffrey Boycott or John Edricks? No, I'm not. But I'm going to be roundabout. And when one of them got injured, which was Jeffrey Boycott, I got into the team. If they'd have both been fit, I would have been nowhere near the team. And Dennis Amis into it as well. Uh, so to answer your question, having played in a number of test trials, they were great fun. They were nice to meet up, but there was no real energy to the game. Just to, to go on, you know, again with your coach's development hat on, there's not been any real under-19 cricket, any age group cricket, any ear tours, national proper ear tours. Has that taken an effect on the gap between playing six games at the start of the season, six games at the end of the season, and the gap between county cricket and test match cricket? Do you think the development of some of our young players bridging the gap between going into test matches because we've lived in a world where we haven't been able to travel and ear tours couldn't happen and the, the National Academy couldn't happen? Do you think that's taken an adverse effect or do you just think cycle comes and our players this cycle, from a batting point of view in Test Match Cricket, haven't been up to the standard of competing in the Ashes. It's all, almost like a perfect storm. And that is another aspect of it, that the development of a young player is hindered because of something that we can't control. We can't control the nation's health. And so that's been put on a back burner. I can come back and sort of spotlight two areas of that. And Neil, with his South Africa base, that when we played South Africa in the 90s, we had a thriving under-19s team and John Abrams was the manager of that team. He would ring me and, and say, I've got, we've got this, we've got that. And he rang about two players, under-19 players, and he said, these are ready to play. 
And the captain at the time was Alex Stewart. And I went to Alec. I said, look, this is my information. This is what we've got. These two are ready to play international test match cricket. And we played them. Andrew Flintoff, Ben Hollyoak. Yeah. Now we played them. So what you're doing is fast tracking. And a number of people said, well, Flintoff's not ready. I don't care. It gave him great experience of what was required along the line. And he did okay. And as he would say, he did okay for a fat lad. He did, yeah. He lost a lot of weight by it as well. He did him a <laughs> favour by kicking him out of the fish shop for a while. Bumble, um, I know that we could talk for, for hours, but, but we, we, we're not allowed to. And I know that your time is precious, although you've got more of it now. Um, I'm just concerned that many, many thousands of listeners will be going, ask him then, ask him. Um, so now that now that Sky is no longer part of your life, um, you did finish a very moving retirement statement by saying, "I'm still standing." So I have to ask you, what's what's in the future? Because um, you're you're in your you're in your commentary prime. Well, I can tell you, Neil. Today I've got my first piece of work today. That's why I'm slightly late for for this recorded <laughs> in. And the village that I live in have renovated the telephone kiosk. And I've had the chance today, I was asked the task <laughs> to open the new information <laughs> telephone kiosk. So I am, Elton John, I am still standing and I'm still working and I'm looking forward <laughs> to doing something in the future. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic, Bumblebee. Listen, uh, I'm rather hoping to persuade John Norman to sign you up to come and commentate with us. Well, that, that'd be absolutely terrific. We've done it before. and uh, Let's resume. Yes, definitely. Let's resume. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Bumble. We'll let you go off and uh, get yourself a cup of tea. Great to be with you guys. Delighted to say, as promised, we're joined live from Sydney by Barrett Sundarayson, who uh, once again has been uh, doing all the prep work for us, uh, looking at form in the nets. The first question I need to ask you, Barrett, is um, the Ashes are still going ahead, are they? Um, <laughs> Well, uh, Manas, hi, Happy New Year, and the Ashes are going ahead. They're not going anywhere, and it will continue to be a five-test series, not just this time, but for many, many, many more years to come, regardless of whether England go 3-0 down after three matches or not for the next many, many years. The way they've been playing so far in Australia, it looks like that will be the case. And um, the Ashes will go ahead, but I don't know who's going to be left standing uh, at the rate at which... COVID cases are climbing within within the England camp, around the England camp, uh, 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 even uh, including the English media manner. So it's just, we're all kind of just, uh, you know, having our fingers crossed and hoping that it's not us. It come down to that point. And it's, it's kind of um, sad to see the English team uh, on the field because they're left with three, three coaches, uh, which include Graham Thorpe, who's stand-in head coach. And Bota, who I think was added to the mix just to be pretty much the wanger uh, throw or the throwdown guy. Uh, and James Foster, keeping coach, but now he's bowling, batting, uh, wicket keeping, all, all like you know, an all round coach. To the extent that today I saw their performance analyst helping in the catching practice drills. And I asked one of their players whether he's ever done that before. And he actually thought about it and said, nah, I don't think so. So uh, it, it's quite, quite ridiculous what's happening here. Is there a sense of. Um sympathy or, or perhaps at the very least empathy with the England team amongst um, the Australian media I mean uh, palm bashing is a, a national sport but uh, things have got so bad now is, is there a sense of, uh, 
of, of sympathy or empathy with them. Uh, it has it has reached the point where, like you said, even the Australians have stopped or briefly paused with their palm bashing, and there is there is genuine sympathy because yesterday, like you know, after having lost all these coaches and depending on Joe Root uh, turning into captain come coach, they lose their net bowlers because I think one of their net bowlers tested positive, and they were bereft of that. I remember watching the nets at that point. David Milan was batting, and Mark Wood came in with another support staff and almost half jokingly said. Mate, we lost our net bowlers as well now. And David Malan just went shambles. And, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it has reached that point. Jimmy Anderson, after 160-odd tests, was in there giving throwdowns to Mark Wood and still seeming and swinging it around, of course. But uh, <laughs> I think for the Australian media and just generally Australians, they, just, they, they, they want to put an arm around them, but they can't because you don't know who's positive and who's not <laughs> in today's day and age. Can you put into context, context um, Zach Crawley saying that uh, he may be averaging 10 in test matches this year, but uh, that's misleading, and then uh, nominating himself to score 100 in Sydney? And how about Josh Butler continue saying, saying that he's every, every intention of uh, continuing to play test cricket? I mean, it says everything you need to know about English cricket, right, man? Is <laughs> right there. And I have seen a lot of Zach Crawley in the net. In fact, I nominated him to play in the first test. He just... Lick seems to have a game made for Australia. Uh, you know, the way he bats, technically speaking, just his approach to batting. But um, yeah, I mean, even yesterday, funnily enough, I was having a chat with one of the last remaining coaches who's working with Zach Crawley. And I said, man, he looks so good. And he's like, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think he's going to come good. So I agreed with him. But then I felt like, I guess I know where that confidence for Zach Crawley is coming from. Because I think everyone around him seems to be building him up to be that guy who is going to hit that 100. And I thought he looked okay in the first innings at the MCG. But, you know, after that, once he got out, uh, second innings, we shouldn't even talk about. <laughs> the So, uh, he's, he looks so good in the next manners that you almost want him to succeed because he is that pretty Rohit Sharma-like batter. So, uh, or a James Wins. Uh, when it comes to Joss Butler, uh, I'll be honest, man, as when I see him in the nets the length balls trouble him the same trouble him in, in, in the games. And I can't get my head around why nobody's just working that out with him. And he's played enough test cricket by now for him to sort it out himself. If not, you would expect some of the one of the coaches to step in and help him out. And that's what is at times baffling with this English team. Uh, like Zach Crawley, uh, you know, you throw him into the deep end as opener against this bowling attack at, at a green top at the MCG. He gets out twice. And then you start working on his technique. Like I, I, it blows my mind. Like how things work with English cricket. After that, they, I, I saw my, myself in the net, like Joe Root and Graham Thorpe working with him on how bat should come down a little straight. And I'm like, isn't it a little too late for that? So maybe, like you know, I, no surprises that Zach Crawley and Josh Butler keep backing themselves up because back yourself seems to be that mantra that is has let English Test cricket down over the last twelve months. Moving on to the Australian team, about the potential selection of Mitchell Swepson as a second spinner for Sydney. I mean, Australia, you know, historically have always played two spinners at Sydney. Um, I just thought it was interesting that some former players, including Mark Ward, have said, oh, you've got to earn your test cap. You don't just hand them out, you know. And it was interesting because they are two very, very different teams. Alistair Cook wrote, I, I thought, really, really well in his column in The Times about about the effect it's had psychologically on the England team being in, in this, you know, it basically become what not one bubble, but 
you know, they've played a lot of cricket in, in a bubble environment over the last year and a half, whereas Australia haven't. Oh, absolutely. And uh, like, you know, without naming him, a very senior Australian batter was in the net this morning. And going back to what you said about simple for the English players, and he actually was speaking to uh, speaking about it to uh, another local journalist here while batting the net about how he does feel for these English players who, uh, you know, had to endure so many bubbles, like at times with family, at times without family. And then to be here in this very heavily COVID atmosphere, you don't know whether you can go out. If you go out, you don't know, you know who you can be around. And anything can lead to um, near disaster. So that, in that sense, that can't be easy. But coming to Mitch Swepson, it's become a running joke here. Like, you know, every time you come to the Sydney test, the first question is, and invariably they put Nathan Lyon up two, three days out from the test is, Nathan, do you think you're going to play, have a second spinner alongside? And it used to be someone else a few years ago, Steve O'Keefe. Now it's Mitch Swepson. And every year, Nathan Lyon just keeps talking about how his friendship with Swepson is growing a lot more. And I've seen a lot of him in Shield cricket uh, in Adelaide in the last couple of years because Queensland have played a lot of games there. And he's really improved. He's become that leg spinner who doesn't have too many uh, or doesn't bowl too many loose balls. But having said that, I'd be very, very surprised if Swepson gets a go. I think what they are doing, though, is I think they're prepping him up for the subcontinent tours that are coming up, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. What will really help Swepson is the emergence of Cameron Green, the bowler. Because Cameron Green has, has looked as good as any of the Australian teamers, at times better than some of them. Uh, so the more he bowls, the more they have a chance of bringing in that second spinner once they leave Australia. But till the time they leave Australia, I'll be shocked if Swepson gets a go. And finally, Barrett, I'm going to ask you to uh, do a bit of creative thinking here. Be anything other than 5-0? And if so, how might it happen? Uh, 80% uh, chance of rain for the first three at the SCG Manor. So that could save England from a 5-0. But look, I will say this though, Manor. I mean, just looking at the English team for the last two days, if this doesn't um, you know, help you rally around each other, which they have done. Like I said, everyone's helping each other out. Dom Bess and Jack Leach had a cute net session where they're uh, you know, bowling to each other and with nobody else really monitoring them. So if England actually think that no this is not the world conspiring against us but this is a chance for us to come together and don't feel bad for themselves they could actually put on a performance on a pretty flat pitch at the SCG is what we expect but again I think rain might uh, play havoc there Hobart pink ball the way England have been batting that game should be over in two and a half days is what I feel and I'll be home by the 16th of January (laughs) for my anniversary (laughs) I just realized that's my wedding anniversary there you go I, I hope that game finishes in three days you only just realised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, uh, I hope Isha doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Barrett, enjoy the last two test matches. It's always a great pleasure to uh, to talk to you. And we'll be watching from afar. Enjoy them on the ground. Thanks, Manas. You have a great day. I mean, I, I asked him what he thought of Zach Crawley's comments about him averaging 10 in test match cricket this year being slightly misleading um, and him sort of... Uh, you know, putting his hand up um, to, um, to to score 100 at the SCG. And I suppose sometimes it's a professional sportsman, you have to kid yourself, don't you? You would, yeah. And you, you, man, as you probably spent more of your time kidding yourself and telling lies to yourself than, than you do telling the truth to yourself because you don't want to tell the truth to yourself. You don't want to be walking back to your mark and that wasn't very good, was it? You Because can, then you would just go home. You'd just die in a hole. And everybody asked me why Michael Vaughan was the best captain. And I always said he was the 
one of the best liars, one of the best bluffers you could ever meet because he could make you feel 10 foot tall by basically telling lies to you. You know, he, he would, he would, he would, he would just change the subject. And he would, he would convince you, you were absolutely brilliant without being patronizing. Or he would kick you up the backside and say, that's not good enough. And he would tell you the truth then, but more often than not, he's trying to pick, pick, pick you up. He was a bluffer and he was very, very good at it. And as a cricketer, you know, the, the hardest part of the game is their mind. And the, the thing between your ears is the one that, for me, is what's different between the good and the great. Michael Vaughan was the best captain in the world because in his, in his brain, in his mind, in the way he spoke and delivered things, he believed in things that, were, that weren't true. He had this ability to get his message across to 10 other blokes to go out to, uh, to battle with them and perform the best they possibly can. And he did that time and time and time again. And that's why he was the best leader. And I think as a player, you do that a lot. That Keep telling yourself, you know, look at the man in the mirror. The man in the mirror tells you the truth. Okay, we'll finish this section um, and let listeners uh, decide for themselves whether they think Zach Crawley believes what he says. No, I don't think it'll be a tougher test. Um, I think the wicket's going to be better here and I think it'll be a bit easier. Uh, Practising well and feeling in a good place, I think it's always important. And then just not fearing them. You know, I feel like... Um, quite a few of us on our first dashes tour, maybe a bit, um, you know, a bit wary of them. When there's no need to be. It's a great place to bat. This, you know, a great bowler. Some of them are the best in the world. But you know, when you get in, as Rudy Maller have shown, they look very comfortable at times. Uh, I think, you know, I think a bit more confidence. Uh, I certainly going to try and do that this game. Just be a bit more confident about myself because I know full well I can score 100 here this week, and that's what I'm looking to do. That was Zach Crawley, and I'd like to say that I believe that he believes what he said, but I don't know whether he's bluffed himself into saying it beforehand. <laughs> yeah, and it's, look, he's got to. He's got to put his chest, pump his chest up, pick his grey nickels bad up, and walk out there and say, right, I'm the best in the world. That's every time. I, I kept saying, I kept saying, I have to say it to myself. And people were asking questions about when I had this real struggle with like mental health and struggle being away from home. The only time I was really safe was when I was on the field, where talking to someone like Jonathan Trott, he struggled to be on the field. Marcus Truscothic couldn't play the field. For me, the field was my, it was my theatre. That's my stage. And the minute I walk over the white line, I'm the best that I I am the best in the world. Nobody's better than me. I, I'm going to knock you over, whoever you are. I had to tell myself every time I went down them stairs, I didn't feel the best. You know, Joe Berg, you know, 2004 or five at Christmas time, walking down the stairs, averaging 70, feeling as though I, I should be going home here because I'm not in the grip mentally. I'm, I'm just in broken bits. But I'm better than Graham Smith. I'm better than Jack Callison. I'm going out there to do it. I didn't believe it, but I had to tell myself that because that's what drove me forward. And that's what Zach, Hasib, Milan, they've all got to tell themselves. They're the best at what they do. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, as always, the great Steve Harmison. And next up, we discuss the futures of both Joss Butler and Stuart Broad. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. We have been a bit surprised, um, you know, probably two wickets that would have suited him pretty well, so he, he, he's bowled well, in, he bowled well in Adelaide. I think they're obviously going with people that they feel that are going to be better away from home, moving, looking down further down the track. He's got me out quite a few times, I've scored some runs off him, so it's been, a, I think, a decent battle, so... You know, maybe we'll see them together out here this week. From a surprise point of view, I'm not, I wouldn't say surprised. They've done that before in Australia. They haven't played both of them too often here. But from our perspective, I think it's a great result that he's not playing. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, as always, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. That was Aussie duo Steve Smith and David Warner at Loggerheads discussing Stuart Broad's lack of game time in the series so far. I must say that uh, the Mail on Sunday get great value for paying Stuart Broad whatever they pay him. He indulges in what uh, Justin Langer would term, no doubt, elite honesty. He's still hungry to play Test cricket, frustrated that he hasn't had an influence on the series, all sorts of really good content in there, um, not committing himself in quite the way that Josh Butler has to wanting to carry on playing Test cricket. But as I said, still hungry, still has the passion. Yeah, he still has the passion and that's what drives him, to be honest. That's why he's the best in the business, him and Jimmy. Look, I'm surprised he hasn't played as much as he, he has done. England have had this plan 
for for a while now and what they were going to do. It's still it still amazes me that if you're going to take Stuart Broad and play him in one test match before you've lost the Ashes, then you might as well have just not picked him and said, right, go into the sunset, go and get your, your deal on Sky and go and talk about it rather than get on a plane and come. You're, you're taking a guy who's played 150 test matches to play one relevant test match. You know, now they're irrelevant now. You might as well give somebody else, give a younger, you could potentially say, right, why don't we give, get Saki Mahmood out of at the Big Bash and play him for two test matches and get him used to playing test match cricket, give him experience of playing in Australia rather than playing Broad and Anderson because, you know, what are we achieving? Yes, we want test match points, but yeah, that would be so that would be so wrong, but there will be people thinking that. Stuart is he's four or five years younger than Jimmy Anderson. Stuart is still relevant. Stuart is still one of the best bowlers in the world, in my eyes. David Warner must have been, like I said, I said a couple of weeks ago, his ribs must have been sore from laughing, never mind getting hit off Mark Woods, 95, 95 at a mile an hour exocet. David Warner was going to sleep at night thinking of Stuart Broad. And you play, you've got a green seamer, first day of the Ashes, when the guys won the Ashes a few times, not to play him, was baffling. So somebody doesn't like Stuart Broad. I thought it was Ed Smith, but it's clearly not because Ed's not there anymore. And they're still not playing playing broad and we had Luke Fletcher on about six months ago didn't we Manners and he said what Stuart Broad give to Notts County Critic Club at the start of the season was the not only the belief but also the mindset of an absolute great and he set so high of a standard that you know that that'll stand Notts in a good stead for the rest of the season that's what that guy is and for England not to pick him it's baffling. It really is. And I'm not just saying it because I, I, I played with Stuart and I've got a lot of time for him. I, I think the kid's a, he's a lovely lad. He's a really, really nice lad. But you're right. When he speaks, his articles are fantastic. When he's done the TV, he's very, very good on there. He's, he's very calculated. He knows what he's saying and how he wants his message to come across. But I still think he's got 100 test wickets left in him. I really do. I still think he's got 100 test match wickets. And that's a year and a half two years test match cricket. I really do. Um, I don't think you'll play in Australia again, but it wouldn't surprise me if he challenges to play in the Ashes again because Stuart Broad is playing for Knots for half a dozen games a year and he's playing for England, what should be half a dozen, a dozen games a year. And he seems to be able to get enough out of his body to stay fit. So for me, I would, I would, I would have played him. Um, I still think he's in the best bowling group we've got. As I mentioned to Bumble, um, Ben Stokes has... Uh one of several players to have very, very strongly endorsed Joe Root to carry on as captain. Uh, just a reminder that this is what uh, the captain himself said about his future. I look at my future beyond this tour, you know, I think there are questions for me to answer. I don't think that's a distraction that, that should be around the group or I should be wasting energy on right now. I need to make sure I throw everything I can into these two games. I think I owe that to to this team and to the, to the players um, and you know, that's, that's, that'll give us the best chance of, of getting the results that we desire. Joe Root not uh, committing himself. And, you know, that's really good advice. If he didn't make up the decision himself, whoever told him not to speculate about his future, um, that's very good advice. Let's move, if we can, on to Joss Butler. And he's played 56 test matches. And the average isn't what he would like it to be. And it's not going to improve significantly. And um, because of a couple of extraordinary 
shot selection choices that uh, he's made in the first three test matches. You and I were wondering, you said a couple of times, you know, where where is his head at? And he's dampened that down a bit or tempted to by saying his head is perfectly fine and um, he loves test cricket and he wants to carry on playing. And he sort of semi-selected himself for the Caribbean tour um, in mm. March. So um, it's ironic, isn't it? Um, he's a couple of years older than uh, another wicketkeeper, test wicketkeeper, who's also played just over 50 test matches. Quinton de Kock, who's just turned 29, he announced his retirement, which is extraordinary. Were you surprised by, by Joss being so strongly committed to carry on playing test cricket? Not really, because he, it's, again, it's something you have to say. He has to say. He's not going to say, oh, I'm, in the end, the Ashes, I'm going to walk away or I might get dropped or that, that'll be me done. He can't say that. You know, he's got a contract, a test match contract, which runs until September, September. So he'll not want to retire because you'd lose part of that. But the, I don't think the financial side of it is is in, in Joss's mind. He gets a few quid, he knows, he, he does all right out of the game of cricket. Joss has got to make a decision on now where his, now the ashes have gone, what's best for Joss Butler? And best for Joss Butler might actually not be in this test team. The best for Joss Butler might actually just play in the shorter format of the game. He hasn't been able to nail the difference between playing test match, a test match innings and a white ball innings, a red ball and a white ball innings. And I think after 50-odd test matches, Tony, the talent he's got to only have two hundreds. Uh, it just doesn't seem as though Test match cricket works for him, and he's a he's a very very good keeper. And no matter, he drop, we drop catches. People drop catches, you know, because he's got gloves on doesn't mean he has he's got the god given right to catch the thing. You know, he took two absolute stunners and then dropped two of the easier ones. But that tells you where his head possibly at. Do England just go right, Johnny? You're going to keep for the rest of this, the, this series and bring back Ollie Pope. You know, where's what? his head at? Give Dan Lawrence a game. Yeah, give it. Let's see what these guys have got, because I was clearly it's not working. Clearly, you might have to have a little bit of a break out the side to you know refresh the mind, get away from the bubble, go away, spend some time on holiday, come back, because sometimes a break from the game is the best thing. You look at what Joe Root did in lockdown and COVID world. COVID came, no cricket played. Joe Root come back and got 1,700 runs because he was fresh in the mind. He hadn't played any cricket. You know, he, he went back to getting basics. Just Matt, if he wants to play test match cricket, he might just have to go away, get away from the game, come back and think, right, I'm going to build my game back together for another go, possibly in the summer. I wouldn't take him to the West Indies. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take many of these lot to the West Indies. I really wouldn't. For their own sake, I wouldn't. But what about Ben Folkes? I mean, uh, he's averaging more than any other batsman who's uh, made their debut in the last uh, eight or nine years. And but I think it's by common consent. He's regarded as a not only a better gloveman than Joss, but possibly the best gloveman in the country. I get that, but he's in England and Johnny's in Australia, if you want to yeah. make a change for this test match. I'm talking about long term. Long term. Something's not clearly not there for, for Ben Folkes. England don't fancy him. I think if Ben Folkes was fancied, he'd have been playing by now and he would have had a good run on the side because you know, they seem to pick him for his glove work when he goes away. Ball doesn't really bounce as much in the subcontinent from like a quick bowling point of view. To have England seen something in Ben Folkes' batting where they don't really think against a high-quality attack that Ben Folkes' game's up to it. I've just, I say, I'm, I, at the minute, I'm, I've been coaching some young kids at, at Yorkshire 
the bowling machines on and they're clipping balls from from middle and leg and they look great shots through mid wicket and I'm just thinking you know what the higher up you go you can practice them as much as you want bowlers don't bowl there they don't bowl they don't bowl half stump well saying that Mitchell Stark bowls a leg stump half volley first ball got a wicket but they don't bowl there that's that's the problem I think what we've got to work out is who's good enough the thing for me was Johnny was averaging 40 batting at number seven and keeping wicket England want to make a change they can look at Pope or Lawrence back in at number six and, and Besto can, can can keep ably keep but as I said before I'd be careful on who I'm taking to the Caribbean I'm not taking many I wouldn't be taking many of this lot but it's time now uh, for our uh, weekly breaking the boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket David Smith breaking boundaries on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket for the best chance of making it in professional cricket you need to train with us find out more at instituteofcricket.com David, thanks once again uh, for joining us. Um, we've got a few questions for you. Um, we're obviously uh, going to get your reaction on, on what happens at the Institute and with the youngsters if they're feeling a bit disillusioned about England's blight in Australia at the moment. But let's just start with uh, with a half volley. What are the plans then for 2022? Yeah, Happy New Year and thanks for the thanks for the half volley. I'm pretty good at hitting those, but... Um... <laughs> It's an exciting new year. I think we we go into it sort of very motivated to build on what has been a really successful 2021. You know, huge numbers of children still playing cricket and still loving cricket. Uh, and obviously from our side, the, the challenge is now to build on our successes, continue to grow the numbers that we've had in the locations that we've, that we've de- developed in 2021. Obviously, we kicked off in London in 2021. Now we're looking at uh, a new camp starting in Devon. Uh, and Cornwall in uh, February and Easter. So, so yeah, lots to be excited about. And I suppose it's now just continuing to to, to raise the standards at our end and, and continue to bring more and more children into playing the game. Oh, that's great. And it's, you know, that's what we want to see, kids playing the game. And the point that has been keeping coming back about kids playing the game and going through their sort of formative years is the coaching of these children. Are we not coaching them right? Are we because... We had Gary Kirsten on last week and he talked about technique, you know, the technical side of batting in a test match for six hours when you're picking your bat up above your head or you stand on one leg and you're doing all this stuff. It was, he was, I think he was more or less implied that something is wrong with how we are coaching these, these kids because how can they get to county cricket, you know, looking like a flamingo? That's how it seems to be. So is this something that we are doing wrong? Or is there something that we need to do better to give kids more of a chance to, you know, get to a point of test match level or first class level where the ball is obviously the, the bowlers are a lot better? Yeah, I think it's it's sort of a bit of a vicious cycle, really, because the way of attracting children into playing the game is maybe not necessarily via your traditional test match route. You know, and that, and I'm talking about that from like a, a, a lower level of like your, your all stars and your dynamos players coming in. They they don't necessarily want to block it out for their hour long session that they're playing on a Monday night. You know, they want to come in and practice all the different shots and the you know. So I think from a starting point, let them do that at the age of five, six, seven, eight. Let them come in and experiment. Find a way of just loving cricket because the bottom line is, if they don't love cricket, they're not going to stay playing the game. So it's irrelevant what you do. Unless they love it, there's going to be so many other distractions out there that will take them away from the game. And then you've lost them, regardless of what format or what anything they go down. It's not going to matter because they're not playing the game anymore. Once they reach a certain level, 
then I think you reel that back in again and you just focus just on absolute basic, getting the basic foundation techniques absolutely right. And then once you've got that, then you go back full circle again. You can start practicing your sweeps and your scoops because they've got their their basics absolutely nailed on. I'm talking basics of picking up the length of the ball, leaving well, having a solid front foot and back foot technique, not being able to scoop or not being able to, you know, and that that is really where we're at as a business. We're trying to reinforce because the players are coming to us at, at all ages, but basic technique is absolutely critical. And, you know, I, I think that from our side, we are we are making a massive effort to try and get players to, yes, experiment and look at the different exciting parts of the game but you can't progress further forwards without the absolute foundations either. David I have a cartoon on my study wall of a child looking very gloomy in a violin lesson and he's looking up forlornly at his teacher saying can we just skip to the part where I'm really good and I'm playing at the Albert Hall it's quite difficult to to make it fun and attractive isn't it learning how to play the forward defense and and there isn't there isn't any substitute for hard work. That's that's ultimately that that's the bottom line in anything that you're trying to do. There has to be an, a ridiculous amount of repetition before you get that skill perfectly right. And once we've got the love of the game, once the kids are absolutely hooked on it, then you can come back to the forward defensive and all that. Not not boring stuff, but just the way that you're going to improve and become the best type of cricketer that you can be. I believe so. It, it's it's so important that we get that fundamental technique right. And what happens from and what what age do you get to when you decide that you, you you can't bat like that anymore? And I'm thinking, how on earth has Rory Burns got to the position he's got to when somebody hasn't said to him, if you play Test match cricket, you might get a few, but you, you you're not gonna you're not gonna get you know, a, a huge amount of runs because bowlers not only do they work you out, they actually bowl in good areas for long periods of time, and anybody with a technique that is a little bit suspect um they've got your number it, it is very difficult isn't it because we we go through this phase of saying well that's just the way he plays and we almost have this flippancy about oh that's the way he plays and and he's just going to play that way it's like when you know Kevin Peterson used to play and he used to get out coming down the wicket hitting the ball up in the air that's the way he plays I personally agree with you Harmy exactly on what you're saying I believe that the technique of some of our top order batters at the moment isn't sustainable it's not repeatable it's clearly getting them to where they, they are at the moment, leading the runs in, in county cricket. But I, I also just don't see how their techniques are going to sustain at the top end. You know, you look at our best, the, the team that you played in, Harmy, the likes of, you know, Strauss, Truscothic, Bell, you know, Peterson and Trotman may be slightly different in terms of they very strong leg side, but world-class players. And, and again, t- technically very solid. And, and at the moment, there's just not enough players in that sort of, they just don't have that sort of technical uh, sustainability. You know, you'd look at Root and probably Stokes and you'd say that those guys are the ones that are going to, you know, be our most successful batters. But as it, and, and you look at the likes of Crawley, you look at the likes of Hamid, you know, those guys have got, by the looks of it, fairly decent techniques. And, and maybe we need to, as a country, say, those are the players that we believe in or... We don't believe in them and we need to start picking players that have got good techniques. But maybe at the moment they're averaging 25 in county cricket as opposed to 37 or 42. You know, it's 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 a difficult situation, but I'm sure that this uh, Ashes series will will make, you know, the whole country and the, the way that we're looking at coaching players, you know, start to change a little bit. 
David, just uh, finally, if you could give us, uh, uh, I don't want to rush you, but if it, um, just give us some idea of, of what you offer for, for kids. Do they need to know what they are? Do they need to know if they're a batter or a bowler or a wicketkeeper? Or do you do uh, sort of general get to know the whole game of cricket courses and also remind us how to contact you? Yeah, sure. So we we are as a business, the Institute of Cricket is one of the parts of our business. The Institute of Cricket looks over specifically looks at top order batting you know spin bowling pace bowling and wicket keeping and fielding those are the areas that it covers and those sessions are sort of two hours per week dedicated to that particular skill complete cricket is the is the wider business that we run and that basically encourages children of all ages all abilities to come in and and be part of what we're doing so we're trying to you know create that love of the game but also try and support the you know, counties with players coming through their pathways onto academies, hopefully then going forward into into first class staff as well. So Institute of Cricket dot com is uh, is the best way to find us. We've got lots of camps running at February half term. And uh, and, yeah, we look forward to a great year and hopefully England can win the next two test matches. Dave, it's always fantastic to talk to you. Thanks once again for your time and your support. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Cheers. That was the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. It is obviously an emotional time, but it's a, it's a time to be thankful to, to everyone as well. I get to... I get to say thanks. My initial reaction was to congratulate him and say thank you for what you've given to New Zealand cricket. I was probably happy to have played one game, so to have played 110 or so, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. He knows the game inside out as well, so we'll, we'll definitely miss his experience. I guess first and foremost, it's nice to finish on your own terms. A lot of it, professional athletes, you know, don't get to go out on their own terms. That's one thing that'll that'll stand out with Ross Taylor. He scored scored runs against everyone. In some, in some pretty tough and crucial moments. It's something that I've thought about for a long time. It's not a decision I've made, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks. Ross has been a fine servant for, for New Zealand for, I think it's about 18 years now. Um, and the record speaks, uh, will speak for itself, like the, the runs, the, the catches he's taken. I'm really excited for, for, this, for this whole summer, but at the time, I'm uh, excited for the future that holds um, after cricket as well. He will go down as one of New Zealand's greats. As I said before, I would have liked to have just Hold the stumps, but at the same time, it gives my family and friends of, and the fans an opportunity to come and watch me for one last time. That was the great New Zealand batsman Ross Taylor and uh, Black Caps coach Gary Stead reflecting on uh, Taylor's decision to retire from international cricket at the end of the summer. Terrific player. Um, I think I'm right in saying he's the only player in the world game to have played 100 internationals in all three formats. So um, that's... Uh, Pretty good measure of your all-round skills and longevity, eh? Yeah, definitely. He's a not only is a great player, he's a great guy as well. Ross Taylor played with him a little bit at Durham. He came to Durham as an overseas player, um, did well for the for the twenty twenty. He was a top player, great lad as well. Lads loved him in the dressing room, and like you say, for somebody that can play a hundred one day nationals, a hundred t twenties, and a hundred test matches, that's some career. And you know, you'll enjoy his retirement. I had a chuckle to myself. You know, I, 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 he was chasing a ball at, um, down a third man, I think it was, in the in the England series, and he had about three jumpers on. And I was like, I'm not sure you, you fancy chasing that, Ross. You're quite happy yet slip. And I think that was possibly the moment where he thought, you know what, I've had enough of this. 
Um, everybody don't everybody retires because they say the same thing. They've had enough of warm ups and they're sick of fielding. So you know, we wish him all the best in his retirement. But what a player! <laughs> Thank you, Harvey. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on Chalk Sport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from your following on feed. Now available via the free Talk Sport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look ahead to the fifth and final Ashes test, assuming it goes ahead in Hobart. This has been the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.